This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 182. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a wonderful guest for you. His name is Eric Miller. He's the co-owner of Econologics Financial Advisors, and he's also their chief financial advisor. And today we're going to talk about money, which is yes. one of my favorite subjects. So welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you. So it's a pleasure to, uh, to meet you and uh, to meet a fellow North or a Midwesterner as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was telling Eric I'm here in uh, Michigan, and he said he's from Toledo. So it's not too far away. Nope, not at all. It's like an hour right down the... 75. 75. Yep, from where I'm at. So right now he's in the Atlanta airport and I'm in my basement because I have a company here, my son musician playing music. So hopefully you can hear us okay and it's going to be a fun podcast. So Eric, can you tell me a little about, about yourself and what you do and how you got into this field and all this stuff? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty simple. It was about 12 years ago in 2008, which, you know, was a great time to, to create a financial planning company in the midst of, you know, a, a global financial meltdown. But um, I've always been interested in, in personal finances. I knew I wanted to help people in this area at a very early age. Um, but it, you know, we found that, uh, and I knew I wanted to help people that own their own business, that were in charge of their own financial destiny to that, to that, to that degree. And you know, I just kind of fell into, um, we first started working with um, physical therapists. And from there, we really found that we could help veterinarians. So for the last 12 years, we have, gosh, we've, we've spent probably 80% of our time and our client base is working directly with veterinarians and really showing them a couple of things. Number one, you know, how to make sure that the practice serves the financial needs of the household, because that doesn't happen a lot. Right. Uh, and that we see that that's a problem. And, you know, I just found that the financial advice that, that owners were getting um, was cookie cutter and they were just, it was a bit underserved from what I thought that they should be getting. So, you know, we, we spent a lot of time working with practice owners, really showing them how to better utilize their business, but for the benefit of the household. Uh, you know, too many owners that I've seen, you know, spend all their time in the practice they don't really treat it like an investment. They treat it more like a job. And I, we really try to impress upon them that this is, this is an investment and you need to utilize it, but it needs to serve the household, not the other way around. And that's a trap that I think a lot of practice owners get into when it comes to, to money. Yeah, you kind of get bogged down in the details and then you forget the whole reason that you started it in the first place was to that's right. have a good business and make money, right? That's right, that's right. Oh. Yeah. It should, you know, it's there for many reasons, uh, you know, and I did, I've never met a, a veterinary owner that got into it just for the money, but, you know, it, it isn't, it is important. It is an investment. You do put a lot of, you know, emotion and dollars and, you know, a, a lot of effort and energy into it. You should get something back from it, not right. just a paycheck. Yeah. So what kind of advice do you give? Let, let's talk about the practice ownership piece first. Yeah. Let's say it's a new person that's just buying a practice or buying into a practice as a partner. 
what is kind of the base? Like, where do you start with them? Well, for someone that's just buying a practice, I think the first thing that they have to understand is that they have, you know, you have three roles. Sorry, you could probably hear that in the that's background. That's right. right now. It's yeah. one of those doors. Somebody opened yeah. the wrong door. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, when you decide that you're going to be an owner, uh, you, you take on three responsibilities. It's not just I'm a practitioner. I'm also an executive and I'm also now an owner. And I think it's really important that, and that, but they never trained you how to be a practice owner or an executive in vet school. They taught you how to be a, a good practitioner, but that's it. So it's really making sure they understand what their roles are and what they're good at. And, you know, from there, you know, learning how to run the business, but more, more, and, and the financial requirements um, that it takes to run a business. You know, I think that, that sometimes people forget that, you know, money comes in, it just doesn't all go to the owner's pocket. I mean, there, you know, there's cost of goods, there's expenses, there's payroll, there's taxes, there's all these things. And just getting them enlightened on what those things are and what a profit and loss statement looks like, and what a balance sheet looks like. You know, I think those are basics that a lot of new owners really aren't confronting, like what those things are. So maybe start with really getting a, a good team around you because it is going to take some time to learn that if you've never had any experience with it. Yeah. Do you recommend that someone were, would hire someone to help them have an advisor like you? You know, I know when I bought my practice many years ago, I was fortunate that my dad's an accountant and my mom's a banker. So oh, wow. I had a little bit of that financial <laughs> like help. Yeah. Not everybody has someone that they can take their profit and loss to and say, I don't understand how to balance this. I don't know, you know, like my dad helped me with a lot of the accounting and the, and the previous owners of my practice. So I think a hundred, I think a hundred percent, you really need to find like a, a good bookkeeper uh, and a trusted CPA. That's definitely going to be part of your team. Uh, I think, you know, having a financial advisor that, that understands how your business operates um, along with, you know, helping your household, that's, that's a missing piece that I see a lot of times too, because you know, there's a lot of money that runs through a practice. I mean, a lot of money. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, I think you have a multi-doctor practice, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. you know, it's hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month that probably runs through that practice. Right. And it's very, it's very easy for it to get lost. Very easy for it to get lost. So really having, setting up the proper systems, having, you know, a good CPA, a good accountant, a good financial advisor, and a good business consultant. I think those are all things that I would recommend to a new owner to, to really start building your team. You know, because you're going to be busy enough trying to manage staff and trying to, you know, manage patients and, you know, grow your practice. So you definitely need to have a good team around. You. Yeah. Do you recommend that that owner would work alongside these people so they can actually know what's going on? I know, I know when I was learning, it was kind of like, I want to know how to do all of this and then give it to the bookkeeper, you know, like yeah. I want to, I want to know what's going on so I can keep an eye on it and over, you know, look over things every month and really know what's going on. I think that's really key is that you do need to understand it. You don't look, you don't need to be an expert in, in, in accounting principles. You don't need to be an expert in financial, you know, uh, the intricacies of the financial markets, but you do have to understand basic concepts. And, you know, you can't spend more than what you make. You know, there are certain, you know, benchmarks and measurements that your, your practice finances need to adhere to. 
Um, you need to make sure that your profit margins are in a certain range. I mean, these are some, some basic concepts that I think it would be good for all owners to understand. So they, they don't go 10, 15 years and look back and be like, wow, where's all the money at? You know, I don't know where it went. So well, it, if, if you don't have a good handle on that, then your employees can also steal from you if you don't really know what's going on. So that that is careful. unfortunately, yeah, it's unfortunately, gosh, it's such a big problem, especially in the veterinary world. You know, I, I have, I'm sure you have stories. We've, we've encountered so many stories of, you know, employees that look, it's just like you have kids, you have kids, of course, you remember when they were toddlers, and you took them to the mall and you like looked away for like two seconds and they were like six stores down, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, your money is exactly like that, okay? For sure. And if, if you don't control it, if you don't like pay attention to the money lines and know what's coming in and know how much should be coming in and be able to say like, okay, well, I thought we had a better day than that. Where, where'd the money go? You know, do we reconcile everything? that you got to pay attention to your money lines. That's one thing that I tell a lot of owners. You cannot, you can delegate, but you still have to have a pulse on what's coming in, where it's going, meet with your people regularly. So you at least understand that. I would not give access to people that I don't trust at all, you know, access to the money. But this is what happens to a lot of owners. They're like, nah, you just handle it. And then, you know, they get ripped off for, I mean, my worst one was like a million dollars. It was over a period of time, but you can see how easy it goes. Well, and I, I was told years ago when I first bought my practice to always be the one that's that has control of the checking account and the bills. Yes. So you are really familiar with the money coming in and the money going out. And it, it's so much easier to keep an eye on things if you always kind of have your finger in there a little bit. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think you just have to keep an eye on it, pay attention to it. There's, you know, I don't, I don't want my owners to do all the bookkeeping and entry of all that. You know, obviously, you want to have someone that can do that for you, but you need to know what you're looking at. And I, I think that's, that's really, really key. Yeah. So what about debt? Like a lot of people, a lot of veterinarians are really worried about their student loan debt, and then they want to buy a practice. And that is a big debt. I yep. know when I bought my practice, I had to take out loans and then I remodeled it and I took out another loan. Like it gets really scary when you've got these, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars hanging over your head. What's your opinion on that? What's your advice on debt? Yeah, well, the, to us, there's, there's two types of debt. There's good debt and there's bad debt, or you could say productive debt and destructive debt. So in the case that you just mentioned, buying a practice, uh, going to a bank to, to, to buy a practice, that's excellent debt because, well, I'll just give you the three rules that we usually apply to, to debt, whether or not you should borrow or not. Okay. Uh, is, is what you're borrowing for going to appreciate in value? Is it going to create cash flow? And does it give you a tax benefit? Mm. Okay. Now, in your, in your case, you went to the bank. You borrowed the money for the, I mean, you bought an asset. I'm sure it's probably worth more than what you bought it for right now. So mm -hmm. it's certainly appreciated. It certainly provided you cash flow over the years and you got a tax benefit for, for, for the loan. So right. it, it check marks all the box. Same with like commercial real estate, a building. You're going to do that for a building. You're going to buy a satellite clinic. If you're going to buy a marketing program or, you know, something in your practice to expand training for your staff. 
so that they're better. I mean, those are all good uses of debt. What would bad debt be? Well, you know, cars, credit cards, uh, <laughs> you know, all the fun stuff. Credit cards that? for yeah. sure, right? <laughs> all, credit all cards are brutal. If all you the can fun stay stuff. away from those. Yeah, all the fun stuff. So I don't, you know, look, I mean, people are going to borrow money. I've, I've, you know, we try to keep the ratios down for most people so that they're not, you know, over leveraged and with a lot of bad debt. I know it's going to happen just because the fixation is so high for people that want to have stuff right now without having the money to pay for it. But they just need to, you know, keep their, their metrics in mind and, and just look at your condition and like, do you really need that $900,000 home right now? You know, can you do a, can you do a 350? And then when you get to practice a lot more affluent and productive and there's more money, then you can buy the bigger home. Um, but those are, you know, some things, but the, the two types of debt is what we analyze mostly. And then we just make a determination, you know, with the owners that we work with, like, is this a, is this a good use of debt or a bad use of debt? And then and go from there. Do you consider veterinary hospitals a fairly safe business to get in? Like I, I've always heard that it's, it's relatively safe compared to like, if you were to go to buy a restaurant or, you know, some other type of business, how do you feel about that? It's safe if you know what you're doing. <laughs> you <know? laughs> That's always the case, right? Yes. So, you know, of course there's good owners and then there's bad owners. And if, but if you're asking me from like the, the lending institutions, most banks really view veterinary hospitals as pretty low risk. So the opportunity to get funding and, and money for either buildings or build outs or new practices is generally there. It's very, it's, it's simpler than some other, other industries that we work with. So, uh, but you're still going to need to build a team and, and run the business correctly. But, you know, the good news is that's such a growing industry. There's so much right private equity. For sure, there's, yeah. There's so much private equity money moving in, good or bad, you know, into the industry that the values of biz of these businesses has just it's skyrocketed. I'm sure you I'm sure you've heard, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, especially multi-doctor practices are are worth in some cases 13 to 18 times their earnings, mm -hmm. which is crazy, you know. Yeah. So it's a great business to get into um, if if you have the mindset of, you know, growing a, a multi-doctor practice, even if you just want to do a single doctor practice, still has a lot that has value to you if you can if you run it correctly yeah so it's hard to find patients you know i mean there's a lot of patients out there i mean there's tons like there's yeah. so many and and even the clinics are turning them away it's crazy yeah. right yeah. now yeah so how do you um how do you advise people that let's say you're you're already an owner you have your practice and you're struggling with like cash flow um, you know, you're having a little bit of challenges with trying to figure out how to make money. Like, do you have any like tips for those people on how to change in order to make more? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I tend to find that most people, um, there's, we call them the two golden rules of income and expenses. And you've probably seen this. And number one is that your, your business will try to spend everything that it makes and then some, if you allow it. The, the other, and your the employees other will try to have you spend everything, right? Exactly. That's why one person needs to be in charge. The other, the other rule is that it will also make what it thinks it needs to make to cover its most basic expenses. Mm. So my, I think the most successful action that I've ever done with, 
with veterinary owners is really show them, look, your, your make break number, which you think is just the amount that you need to bring in to cover your most basic expenses is, is, is lower than what it actually needs to be because you're not accounting for your profits as part of that number. So the first thing that we do with most people is just make sure that they're operating on the right income number. Like what's your target of what you should be? And I tend to find that most people are 15 to 20% lower than what they actually should be. And that it starts right there because then I'm like, okay, well, your, your income number should be here and it's down here. How many more patient visits do you need to see? How many more surgeries can you do in a month? You know, uh, can you get more efficient in the, you know, in the exam rooms, get, you, you know, whatever you prices. can raise your prices, then, you know, once they figure out that number, it just creates the right necessity for the business to create it. And then wonderful things happen from there. Yeah. So it's never, it's never complex. It's usually simple, but that it really does start from there. Like I'll tell you the, the one, the one thing that, that I, I tell most owners is that and they all freak out when I tell them this, is that they should be taking the first 10% of the practice revenue, and that should be channeling to the household for the express purpose of creating other income sources, okay? okay. And I, I tell them that is your owner compensation for taking the risk of putting this business here. Right. And, and they look at me like, no one's ever told me that before. I'm like, I know, but it, it doesn't mean that it's not true. Mm -hmm. And then I tell them all the reasons why they, they deserve it. Cause sometimes, you know, you know, owners, they, they, they get nervous about taking money out of the practice. They get nervous. They get nervous. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you have to do this for yourself because they're getting, right. I'm sure you've, you've heard the, the burnout, uh, it, my, it's why my, I'm here. Yep. People yeah, are burning out. Exactly. And I guess my, my viewpoint on that is if, look, if you put a lot of energy and effort into something and you don't get the right exchange back, that is going to make you tired and angry and not want to do it anymore. So you got to love yourself and you got to pay yourself. And, sure. and that is part of that is really systematizing the, the cash flow of the business. So it is serving the household and paying you. And once you do that, it's magic. It makes you feel better. It makes you feel more engaged. And it's the most successful action that I've ever that I've ever done. It's the hardest thing that I've ever had veterinarians do, though, which was surprising yeah. to me. I'm like, why is it so hard for these people to like pay themselves? You know, yeah. from a financial background, we're like, I'll be doing this all day. But you know, then you start understanding the the, the mindset of the practice owner, and it's, it's very easy. Why? So, so is it specifically you have them, you know? estimate what the practice is going to bring in this month and then that 10% is your salary or do you are you talking more about paying yourself a salary and then also taking 10% yeah for most of most practice owners are going to be uh, s corps or llc's taxes s corps so most mm -hmm. of, most owners pay themselves a salary as like a practitioner and then they may take some small draws, you know, executive draws, but I'm, I'm talking separate than that. This is, okay. it, it would be a profit distribution, gotcha. but we really just, we try to implement it like an expense. So I'll, and I got, you got to start on a grading. You can't start right away with that amount because right. the business isn't used to it as an expense and the money's not there to do it. Right. So there's a, there's a very technical way that I have people do it, but okay. it's usually starting with, and an amount, whatever that amount they can do. 
let's say it's 500 bucks a week. And then every four weeks, they increase it by 200 bucks until they get to their full 10% of what they of, of what their practice should be doing. And it may take eight months. It may take nine months to get to that full amount, but you got a million dollar practice that's on top of your salary, also giving you a hundred thousand dollars of of cash flow that you can use to, you know, buy rental properties, to put in investments and create other income sources, just so you're not dependent upon the practice sale for your retirement completely. Yeah, you don't want to wait until you get to the end to no. hope, hope you get your retirement out. You want to get it out exactly. while you're going, right? Exactly. Pay exactly. yourself, you get the simple IRA or the 401k going maximize yep. that like all those that would, things that would that would be part of it that would be part of like a whole wealth building strategy but all, all i'm trying to do is accelerate the the process of getting an owner financially free i don't think it needs to take 30 years i don't think it needs to take 20. i think if you can do it in less than 10 doesn't mean you have to sell it it just means right. that you're you're in a position where you have your practice you have your building you have all your other income sources you're good you have freedom then. Yeah, you, you have you have absolute freedom as opposed yeah. to like hoping and praying I get something out of this practice when I decide to sell it. Yeah. So do you ever work with people that before they decide to become owners and they have that dream of owning a veterinary practice or starting a pra practice from scratch? Do you work with those people at all? So I don't we, we don't work with associate veterinarians at this point in time. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at changing that just because our model is um, is really geared around helping the practice owner improve the value of their business and, and utilizing the business for their household. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, it's I think that the 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 recommendations that we make are still going to be the same for for even young associates coming out of school. They have a lot of debt. Yeah, that's and, a big thing. Yeah, can and, you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I probably have some unpopular views when it comes to that because it's always unpopular when you're telling people that they have to pay back their money, right? That's that's probably number one. And the only nobody reason likes I, doing that. The only reason I say that is because I've I've met enough owners where I heard the story of them saying, once I got out, I didn't I didn't go out and spend a bunch of money on nice things and nice clothes and big cars and everything like that. I just worked, learned my skill, learned my trade. How can I add value to the practice and the owner that I'm working for, right? How can I get paid on production and let me attack these student loans, right? As fast as I can to get them down into a, a reasonable level where they're not so overburdened. And I hate to say that that's the successful action, but it's the successful action because all those owners that did that, like every one of them is in that five to $10 million net worth range, right? Because they, I don't, maybe there's other reasons why, but that certainly was part of it was that they, they took responsibility for that debt. And I know it's, look, they probably didn't have as much as some of these kids coming out of school with three to $400,000, but you know, you can still do the same thing. And, and, and I also would say, don't, you know, don't um, neglect or not think that you can be an owner. I think that's really the only way that you're really going to achieve a high level of financial freedom quickly. Yeah. Is if you, if you become an owner, I know a lot of people are scared of that, but I mean, you did it. 
You're still here. You're still and alive. I'm and yeah. I'm not the smartest person in the world. So if I can do it, <laughs> there you go. Anybody can do it. Yeah, I I just think I think there's a mindset in that that you want to kind of control your own destiny. And I think on some level, it's it's somewhat personality driven, I think, but it's also, you know, it it's opportunity driven, at least in my mind. It's yeah, like yeah. if you can if you can be in control of the situation, then you can decide how much money you want to make. It's almost it's almost a, a decision that I'm going to make a lot of money or I'm going to make more money. And I, th I not that I think associates can't do that. I think there's many opportunities for that. But I also think that with all these corporate practices that we have now, that even some of these buy-ins, and I, I don't know if you've had any experience with that, but I know some of the corporations let people buy parts of the practices, yep. and I don't know how lucrative that is, but even something like that might be a step up from you know, if you don't want the total risk, is that right. something that you know anything about or? Well, sure. I mean, they're, they're offering ownership for people because the, the, look, the, the big corporations aren't dumb. I mean, there's a reason that they have, you know, what they have is because right. they know how to tie in people uh, yeah. to the group right. and make it so that their compensation is based upon how well the group does. And if I can bring in ownership and give equity to some people, maybe that's going to incentivize them a little bit more to, you know, really do a good job. Right. So, They're going to work a little harder. That's right. That's yeah. right. So I think that's, you know, I, I would prefer just to have majority control uh, of a practice. I don't think having a partner is a bad thing, you know, maybe one or two partners. Right. But again, that's, that's a whole, that we could probably do a whole podcast on <laughs> partnerships. Yeah, yeah, that's something I didn't do. I, I just always thought that would be hard. Well, actually, yeah. because I worked for partners before I bought yeah. my practice, there was partners that owned it. And there I would be go. there and they and I would hear them fighting. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want. They loved each other. But they also had a. it was like a marriage, you know, it is a marriage, you probably made a smart decision there not to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So but yeah, I think the, the associates definitely in, in the student loan debt, you know, I don't have good answers. I, I don't, I don't recommend waiting for forgiveness. Um, I guess my old school, my, my, my dad and my his old school ways kind of rub off, right? Yeah. Like, you borrow the money, pay it back. I'm yeah. like, okay. You know, I, I think that's, that's the case. And I still think that's the correct to have long-term financial success. I still think that's the correct viewpoint to have. Yeah, yeah. What about this upcoming, well, I, I'm considering it an upcoming recession, but it feels like we're going back to 2008, right? Like I was, I my practice in 2006, 2007 was doing great. And then 2008, it kind of got slower because everything, the, the economy kind of blew up on us. And I kind of feel that coming again with the gas prices and the food prices and things. Do you have advice for owners to prepare for that? Or do you think that's going to happen? You know, or you think we're going to be fine and it's going to be great. Like, what are you thinking at this point? Um, well, I have a lot of faith in the veterinary industry. So I think that business-wise, that uh, that business overall is a, still a good business. People are still spending money on their pets. Uh, so I don't think that that's, the business is going anywhere. But you do have to be financially prepared. You know, most people don't have enough in income assets and resources to survive the effects of a stock market crash or a real estate crash or 
a health issue or anything like that. So you really have to make sure that you bolster up your reserves, have at least one to two months of business savings in your business uh, account. Um, you know, make sure you're, you're taking your 10% for your household and, you know, getting rid of bad debt and, you know, creating, you know, other investment and income sources um, and making sure that your, your practice is something of value so that regardless of what the economic condition is out there, and it does go up and down, but it doesn't affect your like little bubble to that yeah. degree. And is so, there a, is there a way to control the expenses? Like, is there something you can do to kind of get ready? So you have that money to save and put away? Well, you, again, you got to make it part, uh, you got to make it an expense. Okay. So when I say like, what I, there's like, I call them the five accounts that most owners should actually, yeah, five accounts that every owner should have. The the 10% account that I, that I mentioned, okay. you know, we call it, we call that a wealth storage account. You're, you're expensing that out. Um, you know, having a business savings account, if you don't have two months of business savings to operate your, your basic expenses, you should have that. If you don't have that, then put that in as like, okay, I need to build that up. Um, taxes are another thing because most practice owners have to pay the, t the tax on the profit personally of the business. Right. You got to make sure that the money is there to pay the taxes. Yeah. So you got to incorporate that as part of the, um, your make break number as well. And then, you know, I have an expansion and development fund. So you don't always have to go into debt to buy equipment or, you know, and, and then, and then I have a celebration account. So, because you need, you need to celebrate every once in a while. <laughs> I think I use that account a lot. <laughs> you like that one. So, but my point is, is that when you add these accounts in, you know, it, it forces you to say, okay, I'm, I'm not operating at the right production level that I could. And I would encourage every owner to really look at their facility and, and find out like, okay, I got a 3000 square foot place with three exam rooms. What should this facility be producing every month if it were at max capacity? Mm -hmm. And I just tend to find that most of them are probably operating at like 60 to 70% of what they could be operating at. Yeah. And with various reasons, it's hard to find doctors and I know it's hard to find staff. And I know that, you know, people don't want to work nowadays and I blah, 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 blah. All the things. I, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that there is a, there is a maximum amount of production your practice could be doing. If it's doing anything lower than that, that is an expense. Like that's yeah. lost money. You're losing that's money. Lost yeah. income. That's right. So it's little things like that, that owners, I mean, they're always so rushed. They, they rush to cut, you know, certain expenses and cost of goods and marketing. And I'm like, no, you're not, you don't need to, econo you can't economize your way into prosperity. <laughs> you got to make you know? more money, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You really do. You got to push the production, hold your people accountable, make sure they have statistics that they're, they're measuring and you have a good culture that you expect people to show up, do their job, and not allow toxic people to take over. Yeah. It's really the biggest miracle that I've seen is when you get rid of that one toxic personality in your organization, like what happens to a business? Like it's, it's amazing what happens. Changes, yeah. And you think that maybe you can't get rid of somebody because you're, you're so short on bodies, right? And then that that's, one person, you, you feel like, oh, I got to get rid of this person. And that's like, oh, why didn't I do that a year ago or two years exactly. ago or 10 years ago? Like sometimes these I, people have been there I, forever. 
but it, it's it's almost like the the seas part and the, <laughs> the heavens open and like really good rainbow appears yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah so i really like what you're saying about increasing the income as opposed to cutting expenses because that it seems yeah. like that's our gut reaction when things aren't going well is to stop spending which you know you kind of have to a little bit but because yeah. you're running a business if you can make more you know that that is the way to it to really isn't that hard to like just look at and say okay where what what services are we pushing you know could we add you know uh there's um, there's a hundred things you can do to see what you know raising prices you had mentioned um really looking at your income streams your in the business the business services you know which ones are providing the highest profit margin or easiest to deliver and they're in demand those are the yeah. ones that i want to push you know right. are we doing are we doing too many specialty stuff that takes too long to deliver you know there's just a lot of things you can do this is probably having why a, a business coach or a consultant is helpful yeah. they can help you look at Absolutely. these things so when you when you work with someone in your um, financial advising, is that mm -hmm. something you do? Like, can, can you pick apart a little bit their business and say, okay, you're making this much money here. If you did, you know, 10%, like, let's just say blood work. If you did 10% more blood work, that would raise your, your income by this much. You don't have to get more clients to do that. You just have to be better at recommending it. Like, is that kind of stuff that you work on or is it more on the just the money side our our target is definitely the household so but okay. we do we do spend a lot of time on on asking those questions and and they, you know if they're if they're not meeting their make break numbers or their make break numbers are too low um and they're in the facility capacity you know i i make owners figure that number out like what could you be doing right and then and then i put it on them to brainstorm the yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I mean, I am a, I know the veterinary industry, but there's, I'm, there's, you probably know a lot more about blood work and surgeries and all those things than, than I do. Yeah. But you know, you 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 would know then where to go, and what to do. You know, if your staff pay is like at fifty percent of your revenue, that's too high. You know, yeah, you that's a problem. Out, are you are you scheduling people not getting scheduled? Is your cancellation rate too high? I mean, these are all questions that we would just have you inspect and look. Right. But you know the. The owner is going to have to go in and actually fix that. Yeah, and figure out what the problem is. So yeah. tell me what tell me what econologics like. What does that mean? Why did you pick that name? That's yeah. fascinating to me. I'm like, that's an interesting word. Well, if you, it came from um, uh, econo, which is short for economy. Right. And if you the the original derivation of that word actually means the management of a household. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, you think about it like an economy is simply made up of all the households of a of a country, right? Yeah, right. So, and then um, logi means the study of, and then ix means skills and practices. So it simply means the study of the skills and practices of the financial management of a household. Okay. That's where the that's where the so word the, came. So the real focus is on getting the money out of the business so you can run your life the real the real what we really do is make sure that the the owners are treating their household like a business ah. they, they they view it like a parent company gotcha. okay and they are they are 
making sure that the profits of the business are channeling to the household so that they can create other income sources, they can get out of debt faster. Just It's, it's done to accelerate, like I said, the process okay. of getting into financial freedom. Right. And, and that really is where we, we shine. You know, we show people how to, of course, we show people how to save in taxes. We're not accountants, but we have tax strategists. Right. Um, and then we certainly help people navigate the sale of their business so that they understand, number one, how much they need to sell it for. Number two, um, what to do with the money once they sell it as well. Yeah. So that's a, obviously when you get, you know, two, three, four, five, ten million $10 million, you're like, oh gosh, what do I do with all this money now? <laughs> so that's a good uh, problem to have. It is a good problem <laughs> to have. It is a good problem to have. So, but you know, our, our system is, is focused just on working with private practice owners. So okay. I, you know, we don't work with engineers. They don't work with teachers. We don't work with, you know, we, we work only with practice owners because we understand how their business how that works. Yeah. How important yeah. it is for the financial success of their household. Right. Well, you know, and I'm I, sure would, I would, yeah, I'm sure there's some advisors out there that work with like, you know, Ford CEOs, you know, right. that really understand stock options and all that stuff. I'm right. not, you know, our, our forte is practice owners. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. And I think what you're saying applies to personal personal finances too. Yes. Make sure it's, it's staying home. It's not, it's not all out yes. there, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we have a plan. We have a plan to get out of debt and, you know, you have a plan for, you know, what happens if something happens to me? Do I have a estate plan in place? Do, you know, uh, or am I minimizing my taxes? Are my assets protected in case I get sued? You know, we, you know, we make sure all of those things are, are in place through our planning process with our, with our clients. Awesome. So it's not just like a, hey, let's just review your portfolio once or twice a year kind of thing, which I think is what a lot of people have experience with when it comes to advisors. Right, right. So is there, well, I know we're going to have to finish up pretty soon. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think we should? Um, I don't know. We definitely covered a lot. I think, you know, well, I would say, Start preparing for your transition right now. Okay. Because number one, you always want to have your business in a ready condition to sell if you need to. And it's just good practice because you want to get the most out of the business. So you do have to you know, work on getting it prepared to transition, regardless of how you're going to do it. And you probably should have some idea how you want to do that. And yeah. to your to your point, you know, right now most popular is the private equity, the big corporations buying you out. You don't have to do that though. I mean, you can find an associate, you can find, you know, maybe a competitor if you don't like the corporate route. You know, there are options out there. You just have to decide what that is and, and build your business so it's valuable enough to um, to be able to to sell because it, it is it is a big financial transaction. Yeah. And if you if you don't treat your your business like an investment, it can it can literally cost you millions of dollars in value. Yeah. You know, I don't want that. No, definitely not. <laughs> so tell me how people can get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you do and in, in your business, and if yeah, they sure. have a practice and they need an advisor, how do how would they get a hold of you? So they can just go to econologics.com. That's e c o n o l o g i c s dot com. And we have a lot of downloads and resources 
Um, we have an online assessment that you can actually, you know, take a hundred question uh, financial assessment, both for your practice and your household. And it'll give you like a score, like a, okay. almost like a credit, credit score of all these critical areas of where you're at. And then we, you know, we usually do like a, a free strategy session with people where we'll go over your results and, you know, show you where, Hey, this is, this is good. This is not so good, you know, and then, you know, maybe the next step would be to get a plan together so that you can handle it. And this but, would be for an owner that that's early on and an owner that's later on. Like it could be anywhere in your career as a, anywhere, as a practice any, owner. Anywhere in your practice journey. Yeah. Anywhere in your practice journey. Awesome. Um, we can we can certainly help. So, uh, yeah, just go to conologics.com and, you know, we have plenty of downloads and resources that you can just poke around our website and, and reach out to us as well. Awesome. Awesome. So everyone out there, if you have any questions about all of this, I know it was uh, quick and there's a lot of things when you're talking about money that people want to talk about. So if you have any questions or you want to reach out to me or Eric, um, just send me an email at jacapeldvm at gmail.com and I will um, get it to Eric because he's the yeah. expert in this area. So and we can always do this again, Julia. This was fun. I would so, love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If we can come up with some more good tips, that'd be great. I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, so for sure. I thank you so much and I appreciate you being on the podcast and I know you have to catch a plane because <laughs> you're at the airport, right? Yes, I, uh, I gotta, I gotta, yeah, I gotta catch a, an Uber to my hotel and then I have oh, to Oh, I see. Yeah. And then later. All right. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast so much and it was fun to meet you and hopefully yep. we'll do this again. Sure. We'll connect soon. Thanks, Julie. All right. Thanks. Bye, Eric. Bye, Bye everyone.